Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Anne Friedman. Hey, Anne Friedman. What's up this week? I'm so excited about today's episode because it feels very classically phone-a-friend, which, like, maybe it's worth saying at this point that way back in the early days of CYG, we did regular chatty episodes with the two of us and then we broke them up with episodes that we called phone friends which were just literally us calling our nearest and dearest and we've gotten away from that a bit because um there are just so many people we want to talk to out in the world and as the podcast has gotten bigger like some of them will talk to us <laughs> but like today's episode is really a classic phone a friend i chatted to my excellent pal jade chang who you might know is the author of the best-selling novel, The Wangs Versus the World. Um, she also writes for television. She wrote for the um, Netflix Babysitter's Club show and has a couple of other things coming up. And um, she's someone who I really think of as not just a close friend, but like a kind of fellow creative traveler. Wait, a creative fellow traveler? I'm not sure which order to put those in. But she's the kind of person I like find myself getting into these like super deep or like maybe kind of abstract philosophical questions with about like the nature of, you know, what makes us who we are and like where do ideas come from? And like, I don't know, like she she's one of those friends where I can just lose hours talking to her. So when I found out she was working on a new audio essay about like how humans make change in their lives, I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity for you to come on the show. The audible essay, I don't even know what to call it, audio essay, like audible piece. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know that we have like a fully agreed upon term for this kind of content yet. But anyway, it is out on Audible now. It's called You've Already Changed Your Life, A Recipe for a Revelation. And in it, Jade has this theory that humans are infinitely adaptable. Like we're changing all the time and the seeds of personal transformation are sown when we least expect it. So like little moments, little things we hear that like finally land at the right minute and then we change ourselves. Um, and not so, it's not so much about like, you know, trying to make a big shift like New Year's resolution style. It's more about identifying the small and profound shifts that you've already undergone and retelling the story of your own life to accommodate those shifts. Again, it all sounds very abstract, but I swear to God, there's like a heartfelt, deep conversation between, between two friends. And I think anyone who's interested in asking the big questions is going to enjoy it. So here I am with one of my favorite big brains, big hearts, Jade Chang. Jade Chang, welcome to the podcast. <gasps> Thank you, Anne Friedman. I'm very happy to be here. Does it satisfy you as much as it satisfies me to refer to your friends by their full name? Yes. I Why is that? Is it because you feel like this is how I know you fully? I don't know. I like, I just love my friends and it feels good to be like, I'm just going to say your full name. <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay. On, I guess like we don't really have an on topic today, but the, the mm -hmm. honest on topic we can get is about this new piece that um, you wrote and read, correct? Or do, would you yes. say performed? Delivered. Delivered. I um, like that. 
yes felt in the depths of my soul mm. and emoted yeah. wrote and read yes through your physical instrument yes yeah so so this this piece of writing and this piece of writing that you have also delivered in the form of an audible original about whether and how people can change is that a good summary yeah i you know i feel like this project is a little hard to summarize great so in a way this piece was really hard for me to kind of get a handle on because i knew that i wanted to write about why we're obsessed with change and whether or not we actually can change i kind of came at it with a theory which is that if we think about the small things that we've changed in our lives it can really help us understand how we've shaped ourselves, how we've sort of become the people that we are, how we understand how to walk through the world. And it also helps us continue to change in the future. Mm-hmm. It came from um, a Freya project. Oh, tell the Talk listeners what the Freya project is because it's great. The Freya project is this storytelling event essentially i don't i don't know if storytelling is reading like, series storytelling event yeah somewhere between the two yeah so they always have a like a nonprofit that they donate the proceeds to and then they always have a topic that they ask everyone to speak to and then it's always a really interesting lineup of women right it's always i think it's predominantly w- women or non-binary yeah. folks i don't yeah. think that might not be true i might have but but yes that is definitely I think that the, was the, the original the bent, the intent of, it. of mm-hmm. it yeah yeah and so the one that i was invited to do the topic was starting a new chapter and i remember thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about sort of all these giant new chapters that i've started you know big moves big loves big breakups things like that and yeah new jobs publishing a book like exactly yeah moving to a new like even part of town but the things that i kind of kept coming back to were just tiny things like really small moments where someone said something or i saw something and then all of a sudden it just changed the way that i did that i did life you know Mm. so okay one i think the yeah give an example one time in college, upstate New York, mm-hmm. Cornell University, very cold most of the time. I was there from Los Angeles, only had what we'll call a light spring jacket my freshman year. Devastating. <laughs> Devastating. It really was. My hair, my hair froze more than once. But, you know, in college, I don't know if you remember, people never wanted to do things alone. Mm-hmm. Everyone always only wanted to just get large groups of people together all the time. And I remember these people that I was, you know, not that excited about asked me to do something. I can't remember what it was, but they asked me to make a plan with them. And I didn't have any reason to say no. So I said, yes. I asked a friend of mine who I really did want to hang out with. And she said, no. And I asked her why. And I thought that she was going to say, you know, I have a test to study for. I have other plans, just some, any, it could have been, it could have been a lie, but it essentially would have kept up the social contract. Right. Like one of those harmless social white lies. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But instead she said, 
because I don't do things I don't want to do. I mean, it was like an explosion in my brain. Like, I just could not believe she said it so straightforwardly, without apology, that it wasn't, it also wasn't antagonistic. It just was, I don't do things that I don't want to do. When I said that during the talk at, at the Freya Project, I still remember this. It's, so it's, it's a very convivial atmosphere. You know, people, people are drinking, people are snacking, but everyone stopped for a moment. <laughs> there was a collective gasp. And I get it because that is how I felt. Just, oh, yeah, you can just not do things you don't want to do. And you can be honest about it. I feel like that moment really kind of changed my life in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And I started thinking about other moments like that. I came up with six of them. That ended up being the, the kind of thing that I read that night. Mm -hmm. And then I walked away from that feeling like, oh, I think I understand myself a little bit better now. Oh, I love writing. Oh, <laughs> don't you love writing? I'm just like, yes. <laughs> right? I mean, that is kind of the eternal project, right? Like, how do I understand who I am mm -hmm. in this world? How do I figure out how to, who I want to be and mm -hmm. how I want to kind of find a place here? Yeah. Oh, and then you were like, how can I expand on this theory that it was like these little things and not right. huge moments that are more perceived as being about change that exactly. have made me who I am. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, you know, of course part of it was because I was talking to audible about what, <laughs> what we could do together. But <laughs> Let's be honest. That is how many projects come about, but I did, but I told my editor there about this experience, about these moments and about how I am just really obsessed with how obsessed we all are with change, mm -hmm. with whether or not we can change, with, you know, the entire self-help industry is built on people wanting to change their lives. Totally. Right? And then change their lives themselves. I exactly. Self-help. Yeah. Self-help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like not having to go through some big program, not having to like hire someone else, but mm -hmm. really just being able to do it yourself. I, thinking about it, I just realized, oh, you've already changed your life. Like, you've already changed your life so many times. It's funny, when I was reading, um, because I have not listened yet, um, yeah. but I was when I was reading this piece, I was thinking about how one of the most profound moments I've ever had with a yes. friend was with one of my oldest friends, mm -hmm. Laura Shipley. And I forget the context exactly in which it came up, but she just pointed out she was like oh yeah you're so different than when we met you've changed so much really and it's like wait this is so interesting right and I think yeah. that it was it was so powerful because mm -hmm. obviously yes at that point we'd known each other for like 20 years right and everybody changes over the course of 20 years right but it was said within the security of a friendship of, right. with this sort of implication being and I still like what's at the core. Yes. I still like whatever is, it makes mm -hmm. you you that has remained mm -hmm. the same. And it was just like, I really think about it a lot when I am being, when I'm fearful of something that's changing in my life or when oh. I'm like, oh, if I switch this narrative I have about myself, right. I say, I'm actually getting choked up thinking about it. But like, 
just having that simple act of being like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you've changed so much. You're so different than when I first met you and have it be not loaded or exactly. negative. Because I think there's often a negative connotation. Yes. Well, I think we have a kind of cultural hang up with authenticity mm. and with this kind of like, be real, just be real, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that that somehow implies that you just never change, that you can just never mm-hmm. kind of enter into a different phase of your life. But obviously we do that constantly. I don't well, I think that moment with you and Lara also it also assumes that all of your changes have been positive. Yes and no. Oh. But kind of. I guess okay. like, I right, you're right. I fe- yeah. I felt it positively. So mm-hmm. I didn't feel that she was saying you've changed so much for the negative. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, why do you think that people often see change like per- the idea of personality change, for example, as a negative thing? Well, personality is like an interesting way into it cuz like yeah. in a way, I I feel like it's not wrong to say that like my personality has changed. Like I'm mm-hmm. objectively less grumpy than I was like as a teenager. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I am objectively I think less. We all are. I know. Like, like yeah. kind of like viscerally angry or yeah. like I have yeah. different like, yeah. So like, right. I guess my person personality has changed. This came up a lot actually when we we're mm-hmm. um, Amina and I were working on big friendship, which yeah. is that you, you meet someone at a certain point in time right? and you forge a connection at a certain point in time right. and it feels like a, that kind of static idea of who mm-hmm. both parties are right. is crucial to maintaining the connection. I think this happens oh, to romantic couples. Right, it happens for right, sure right. in families. Uh-huh. It happens with friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think one reason why there's this idea of like changing your personality is bad mm-hmm. is because it's sort of like was that a lie before? Right. Is this a real friendship if all this change has occurred? Mm-hmm. Like, is what we have still relevant and mm-hmm. real? That's part of it. And I think also part of it is like branding culture. Oh, uh, right. Like you always have to just present in the same exact way so that people know what to expect and like know what they're going to buy. It's, how, yeah. it's like how everybody hates every logo and website redesign. Right, right, right. Like they're universally hated always. Oh, that's so interesting. But so I feel like if you think about it as, okay... Yes, in relationships with other people, we often fear change. If you think about you as having a relationship with yourself, because, you know, we are in relationship with ourselves our entire lives. Mm. Yeah, I think often people get scared that they are going to, like, not know themselves or something. Right. Well, this actually gets to a thing that you mm-hmm. write about, which is the ancient Greek maxim to know thyself. Right. Like like that being a value, like being really sure in who you are and what you want is also like, I think, something that underpins a lot of like self-help or a lot of like ideas about what it means to be like a fully formed human in the world. Like basically just this idea mm-hmm. that no no one is like, huh, Jay doesn't really seem to know herself right now. Like, that's never said in a positive way. Right. <laughs> like, like there, it really is a way we use to kind of tactfully talk about people who are struggling. Yes. Yes, that's true. But I think there's a difference between knowing yourself and between thinking that who you know yourself as can never, ever change. Right. Right. But then, like, wh- when does that happen? What, what's <laughs> if left? If it's never safe to question yourself. Like, right. right. Yeah. Also, I think the thing that we should probably say is that I am, you know, 
by no means an expert in any of this. No academic background Mm -hmm. whatsoever, but have done months of deep research kind of just based on very blown by the winds of whatever interests me, which was very fun. I mean, I think that was kind of the best thing about working on this is that I went in thinking, okay, why are we so obsessed with change? Can people really change? And is there research about whether or not people can really change? And I think thinking about those things took me definitely in directions that really surprised me. But I think I first thought, okay, what are our kind of like biggest cultural um, stories about change? And I feel like that that whole, you know, Freud says that our personalities don't change after age five, mm-hmm. which isn't true. Right. But also, you know, being friends with many parents of young children, like mm-hmm. I've had so many conversations where people yeah. are like, oh, the person you can, this, this kid's personality has been baked yeah. in from the start. Like, right. you know, or like they've kind of always been like this, even though this kid is already like only six or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I feel like there's an essence of who you are mm. and then there's your personality. Oh my God. Fascinating. Yeah. So I feel like I don't even know how you can really define the essence of who someone is, you know, but I feel like it's kind of like the way if you see someone, you know, really well from afar and it's literally just like the angle of their shoulders, like the way that they've just turned their head, like all of those things just is who they are, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you're talking about like actual, the actual science of personality change. And it's so nuts. It, like, is essentially a new field. The first really serious study was in 2015. Wow. Like, literally a new field. So the study being, like, about can one change one's personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they have, it's all really interesting. So, so basically, there's a big five of personality traits. Let me see if I can remember them. Uh, agreeableness. So, over- like, are you an asshole? Yes, mm-hmm. Exactly openness so like do you like new experiences Mm -hmm. new people etc neuroticism okay um do you stress out a lot yeah Mm -hmm. and then conscientiousness so whether or not you're early or late things like that whether you care about you know your effect on other people Mm -hmm. etc um which is different than agreeableness and being nice i guess yeah okay so and extroversion which speaks for itself also, it's weird that they're defined by like one word and an mm. amount of it as opposed to like a kind of are you extroverted or introverted? Are you mm-hmm. um, agreeable or disagreeable? You know, I don't know. It feels yeah, like yeah. maybe there'd be maybe I would set up these five traits differently were I a, well, a 2015 researcher. Uh-huh. It is a changing field. Uh-huh. I think the the big five, those have been around a little bit longer, but in terms of like whether or not you can actually change those Mm -hmm. is definitely like a a newer topic okay this is really interesting so it turns out that you can spoiler alert you can become more agreeable or less or more neurotic yes or uh so essentially the way they did the study it was on college students which obviously always it's always on college students we rejected so much research for big friendship because it was college students only really well, it's oh, just, well, when you're talking about friendship, it's a social context that is not always applicable to adult exactly. life. And so, so many studies were just like not relevant to what we were writing about. But anyway, go well, on. And I think that's true of 
personality too, mm. right? Because college is such an open time where you're very willing to. You might you might even have gone in with a whole with a whole new personality that you're trying out. You might have had your mind blown by a woman you know being like, "No, I don't do things I don't exactly. want to do." Yeah, <laughs> change your personality immediately. Right. But, you were like, "I am no longer agreeable." Uh, um. So the way they set up the study is that they gave people tactics for kind of changing in the ways that they wanted to change. Mm -hmm. So these students would start out by rating themselves on a scale for each of these things. And then they would kind of set goals of, you know, whether they wanted to become more open or less neurotic or less open and more neurotic. (laughs) Also, also a possibility. Mm -hmm. And then the researchers would give them strategies for, you know, things they they could do to try to change these traits. And I'm already skeptical. I'm like, how do you just do something to become like less of like a nervous Nelly in the world? Well, look, I mean, (laughs) all social science research, I feel like we can approach with like a raised eyebrow for Mm -hmm, sure. mm I think it was it was things like, you know, if if their desire was openness, it was like very much like talk to one extra person and then here are some ways that you can right. talk challenge to yourself to walk to class a new way probably exactly. stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Like very kind of small doable things like mm-hmm. that. But also they would sometimes give people prompts for things that they had not said that they wanted to do and in the end People only changed in ways that they wanted to change. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, first, really one of the first times it's been kind of like studied in a controlled environment of whether or not. Right. That, that you have to really want something yeah, to, yeah. To, make it, to make it change. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hard facts. Those, those are the hard facts. Mm-hmm. There was a part of me that, you know, could have gotten lost in like every single study Mm -hmm. out there but I think what was exciting about knowing that was kind of knowing okay these these kind of existing cultural myths that we have against the possibility of change we can disprove those Mm -hmm. you know we can say that like actually you can change it is possible um, Oprah is wrong when she says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> Oprah's wrong, is what you're saying. Um, I mean... <laughs> Oprah's wrong about a lot of things. It's fine to say that. <laughs> but I think, you know, I definitely I definitely got very interested in kind of digging into all those studies and thinking about the scientific aspect of it. I think because I wanted to prove to myself that it was possible, you know, I wanted to know that there wasn't some sort of like actual block against us being able to change. So to tie it back to that example of this one mm-hmm. of the small moments, yeah. it's like, you know, the way the way that this 2015 research applies is like you had a personality that was like, I'm happy to kind of like subsume my desires to go along with this like social outing because I can't think of a reason not to. Right. And you found out that someone was Mm -hmm. not doing that. And you were like, I want to change in that direction. Right. And so you became, I forget which of the traits is like about, you know, getting along and following social mores. Yeah, I guess I became less agreeable. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is cool. Like, I mean, I think that like that also kind of 
that also complicates the idea that these are all positives, right? Like it's right. not always positive to be super agreeable. And oh, yeah, like yeah. you learned that mm-hmm. lesson by by sort of being like, I want to change in this way and be less agreeable. Mm-hmm. What about other small moments where like this came into play? Oh, so so I think one of the things that was most interesting was looking at just kind of doing that exercise, like thinking about small moments in my life. And it really surprised me. Like some of them really surprised me. This one is sort of, um, it seems a little more frivolous at first, but a few years ago I was driving this was still in the time of those red light tickets in los angeles it was late at night i was driving there was a carload of drunk dudes next to me who were like trying to get my attention and i was speeding away from them and i went through a red light Mm -hmm. and the one of the things that i loved about that was when you get used to get the ticket in the mail and there was like the red light camera ticket yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and it, it took I think three photos and there was a photo of you approaching the light, which is me like looking off so mad at these guys. <laughs> and then the next one is a photo of me like looking up because the light flashed. Like, oh shit. Like so mad mm-hmm. that I'm going to have to pay this ticket. But so the ticket, they were so expensive. It was, I think it was something like $370, which is a lot of money. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I decided that I was going to contest it. Right. Because I was like, I can make this judge see that I had no choice but to run this light. Because of rampant misogyny. Exactly. And harassment of women, not even on the street on their own, but in exactly, their cars. Exactly, in yeah. their mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. Go arrest them. I go to court. And at that time, you had to just kind of wait for your ticket to come up on the docket. So I sat in court for three days, which was really fascinating because you see every single other case come Mm -hmm. up one of the cases that i saw it was it was this young guy probably early late teens early 20s who had gotten into a pretty serious car accident and he was embroiled in some sort of dispute with the people who he had hit and it was clear that he had been in this courtroom multiple times because the judge definitely knew him there was this one moment where he was kind of frustrated and arguing with the judge and being like but i've done my part like what why you know why is this still happening the judge really he was the judge was probably like an 80s tv judge i'd say (laughs) you know mustache yeah 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 stern but sometimes avuncular avuncular demeanor yeah yeah, Uh very uh avuncular yep and he really, you could see that he was like, I'm going to not just give you a lesson, young man. Mm. I'm going to give this courtroom a lesson right now. And I still, I remember I took notes on my, whatever, like court documents because it really was a good lesson, <laughs> basically. <laughs> he kind of cast his eye across the courtroom and he said, I've been a judge 
for a long time. I've seen people win settlements. I've seen people lose settlements. You know, I've seen people kind of have to pay very large sums of money in restitution. And I can tell you that that's not what anyone really cares about at the end. Obviously, I think they would care about (laughs) not (laughs) being paid large sums of money in restitution. But let's just go with his lesson. Um, You know, he says what anyone really cares about is a sincere apology and not an apology that is just, you know, and I'm sorry for your pain. <laughs> I'm sorry if, if you're hurt kind of apology. Right. We're all familiar with that kind exactly. of responsibility shirking apology. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But a real apology where it's clear that the person who has done the wrong has really thought about what they've done, has really understood it, and sincerely wants to apologize to the wrong party. I remember at that time feeling, oh, yes, like that, I do care about that, and I don't always do that. Mm. It does not actually cost me anything emotionally or financially to do that. In fact, it is better for all of us if I do. I feel like that is something that really has shaped me so much. I think that I really try not to, of course, like all people, I love to be right. Mm. I mean, who doesn't? Mm. It's part of my personality. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I also feel like I consciously try to be okay with being wrong Mm. and it's interesting that that was your takeaway from that sorry go on really wait what's yours well i kind of go to a place that is i mean Uh your takeaway makes more sense in the context (laughs) of what we're talking about which is how did it change your personality or like how how you operate in the world which is like you became someone who is more okay being wrong Mm -hmm. but I hear that example and all I can think about is um, bad public apologies. Oh, yeah. Or all the times when apology feels like maybe more for the person giving it rather than the person receiving it, even though they are maybe very, very sincere about wanting to express it. Like, Mm -hmm. I, it strikes me that like um, one, one interesting aspect of what Mm-hmm. you're exploring here is like yeah. just how personal it is like how it lands mm-hmm. with you at that time yeah it was a personality true. shaping thing for you mm-hmm. even though i could have been there i might not Ex- right like Wouldn't no one remember. else in that courtroom mm-hmm. might remember that at all that kid might not remember it at right. all um but no i'm with you i think that it really like every time someone makes every time a celebrity yes puts up a notes apology. Mm-hmm. I think of this moment because they are almost always bad. They are almost always not about the celebrity being or whoever it mm-hmm. is being wrong. It's about them wanting to not be blamed. Right. And so, so for you anyway, you're like, yeah. I became a person who was more comfortable within myself being wrong after that moment. Yeah, I think so. And was more because it really made me think about the receiver of the wrong, like the receiver mm. of the apology. And I think it was the way that he said that is what he has seen over mm. so many years. That, that is what people 
really want that that is like the thing that can heal someone hmm. i think and i mean i don't think i've done that many things that require <laughs> an apology that would actually heal someone but well, I don't, who knows maybe i have no yeah. but i think it is interesting to think uh, about like yeah the lesson is not necessarily about apologies the lesson right. is about like how do you want to relate to the people in yes, your life absolutely yeah. And I think for me, so much of thinking through this was thinking about who we are in relation mm, to, to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so many of the moments really are kind of moments where I saw myself more clearly or saw mm-hmm. because of how someone who I cared about or respected saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. More like a lesson in empathy. Yeah. I mean. Not saying you weren't empathetic before, but like maybe you integrated in, into how you operate in a different way. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, I really think that I did not start out as like a super empathetic person. I don't know. I mean, do you think that you are? An, I think some people are naturally empathetic. I don't think that I, you know, like at birth was just naturally. Like, I think I was naturally agreeable and fun <laughs> but <laughs> oh i love the idea of you being born fun <laughs> True. but yes but not like naturally empathetic i don't know i mean i'm having a hard time answering this question and i think mm-hmm. this goes to maybe one of the difficulties of thinking about changing ourselves yeah of like i don't know how to answer that because like yeah i know how i perceive others to like yeah. like act on their empathy right right but and i and i know like how i react in varying situations Mm -hmm. but it's like hard it's like i don't have a barometer for like my internal empathy for a person or a situation versus like what is your internal process like it's like a hard play it's a hard for me to like find a comparison of like am i an empathetic person well like yeah i definitely feel a lot of empathy or I try, mm-hmm. you know, like when someone cuts me off in traffic and I'm angry, I try to pretend it's a friend of mine having a bad day. <laughs> like, I mean, I have some yes. empathy practices. <laughs> yes. Yes. Though that exactly is a learned empathy practice as mm. opposed to like just innate. Right. It's empathy. also self-serving because it keeps my yes. blood pressure down. Exactly. And it lets, allows me to let go of minor exactly. grievances. <laughs> ram into less people on the freeway. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but I do think it can be hard. It's like, you know, so much of how we think about ourselves is in Mm -hmm. relation to others, you know, like um, we might think that we are sort of like um, politically radical or centrist, depending on the beliefs of the people we're surrounded by. Right. right. You know, right. We, we also like, I think, I think a lot about how Mm -hmm. um, people are really different, you know, in different contexts with different people, you know, like my impression of right. you might be totally different if we were like colleagues 10 years ago. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even though the core material is the same. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I wonder if anything that any of the research you looked at spoke to that. Like, it's not just that we change or our personalities are different over time, but mm-hmm. like, depending on the context we find ourselves in, I mean, you know, everything from code switching to just like... Right like falling into old roles with families, you know, anything Mm -hmm. that involves like highlighting or dredging up different parts of ourselves in different contexts. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true, right? Mm -hmm. Like we we're so different in, in every iteration, but I guess that my theory was more that how we are with ourselves 
then reflects outwards, mm-hmm. you know, ripples outwards to how we are in relation with other people. So I think that, how I think of myself locked in a room alone with no yes. one else, like has an, an outward ripple. Yes. Whereas thinking about, you know, how you're different in different situations, I think that's a little bit more like how the situation impacts right. you. What's the lesson for someone who desires change? So I think it's not so much the idea that small moments make for big changes. I think, yes, that is definitely something, especially in our, you know, storytelling based culture where that's definitely something that we're really familiar with. I think it is more that the idea that thinking about all of the small moments in your life that actually have reverberated Mm -hmm. that have made changes that are kind of things that you might tell friends about or things that you um, kind of think back on and recall as an example for why you are doing something. Um, I think thinking about all of those together, it's almost like a personal theology, Mm -hmm. you know, it becomes this way of understanding how you've changed throughout your life. And I think it's also, speaking of it in terms of relationships, I think it's also a way of thinking about your relationship with yourself, Mm. you know, and how you've gotten to kind of know yourself better over the years. Right. Accepting the ways you have changed. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. As opposed to just pushing for a change in the future. Right, 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 right. So it's not so much like one particular moment. It's not so much like the sort of the lesson of each thing. It's, It's more to me what was interesting And what felt kind of profound, I guess, in my own life was when I had the occasion to actually think about them all Mm. together. So Mm -hmm. for that Freya Project thing, I talked about six different moments. Thinking about them together and realizing, oh, this is actually almost like a a value system. Looking at the ways that you have sort of changed or the ways Mm -hmm. that you construct a self as like telling a narrative about yourself. Right. I think that is easy for you, a brilliant writer. But I wonder uh-huh. I wonder what you would say. I mean, I do think it's a cultivated practice, right? right? Like right, right. you are someone who for a living right, looks for stories to. and narrative and right. things. And so you were able with this yeah. like assignment as a great prompt to sure. look at your life and be like, okay, like this is what's actually made change in mm-hmm. my life. Not asking you to fully step into a guru role. Uh-huh. I'm wondering like <laughs> if there's a way you can describe. I have my robes on. Yes. Oh my God, yes, you really do. You really <laughs> like, how how would you describe that to someone who maybe like doesn't have a narrative creating mm-hmm. practice? Well, first of all, I think everyone does have a narrative practice for their own life, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone is a person who's at the center of the party telling all the stories, but we always tell ourselves stories about our own lives 100% right like I always want to eat dessert first I always like you know do this in romantic relationships or like I'm the fun friend or I study really hard or whatever yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I'm the kind of person who yes yes, exactly any of these things but I think one way to think about it is when you are giving advice to a friend Mm -hmm. you know is there a is there something mm. that you always kind of tell them? Is there something that you that you feel like you see in a certain way that maybe not everyone in your life does? Mm-hmm. I think that can probably lead to something that would be one of these moments. I don't know. I would kind of 
push back on the idea that not everyone is a storytelling okay. creature. You know, when you talk to friends who do anything, when they tell you about their day, it's usually in the form of a story, right? Like a very little of it is like this, then this, then this, then mm-hmm. this. It's always like this, and then I felt like this, and then, oh my God, somehow this happened. But I think also another way to kind of think about it, all of these moments kind of had a little like emotional click Mm -hmm. where it felt like something's sliding into place in a good way. I do feel like that's a good way to kind of look back on moments that are more memorable to you so it's not just a moment where like things were super fun or weird or whatever, but more a moment where you kind of thought like, okay, I understand this mm. in a different way. I think that um, the first example you gave about the woman in college who was like, I don't do things I yeah. don't want to do. I'm just going to bring it back there. Because I yeah. think I often experience this in terms of I want that. Mm-hmm. I experience it as desire, like not just emotional, mm. but like, you know, yeah, yeah, there yeah. is something that, and you know, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before of like, uh-huh. that's why jealousy is so useful sometimes where it's right. like, it's, I'm not actually upset with someone or whatever. Yeah. I just like, oh, what's clicking into place is like a thing I want for myself that I'm yes. seeing exhibited by someone else. Yes. And mm. you don't always like, it's one of those you can't be it until you see it. Sure, yeah. Things, right? And then like, you're like, oh, I want to be a person who does that. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that was very much it for me. Like, I just had not considered that possibility. And you think of yourself now as a person mm. who doesn't do things she doesn't want to do. Correct. And I think that one, I always go back to that one because it just amazes me how much it continually is relevant. amazing <laughs> to other people and how much it is continually relevant, mm. right? And also, just how many things people think they have to do that they don't want to do. Yeah, especially people socialized as women who who are sort of pushed to do certain kinds of social performance that might not be 100% essential. And to uphold a certain kind of like social contract. And it's not that I think that people should be rude to each other at all. I don't. I think people should be, you know... Yeah. Kind to each other. We're in this rare moment where mm-hmm. many of us have experienced like this pandemic, a kind of like, right. you know, I, w- I wouldn't say, sorry, we've all experienced a pandemic. Yes. We've experienced it different ways, but there right. have been a lot of parallels in the experience mm-hmm. of kind of like, you know, spending a lot more time at home or in mm-hmm. isolation or just with the people we live with. And then mm-hmm. there's been this like maybe slightly more of an emergence. Mm-hmm. So there is a opportunity a moment that we're all experiencing that like is sort of like the sitting in front of the judge moment maybe Uh, like a moment to think about I mean I have been prompted Mm -hmm. um there have been a lot of moments I can think about in the past year where I'm like oh I wouldn't have known this about myself before and it wasn't really prompted by something someone else said it was often prompted by an absence yes um I know you were obviously working on this during mm-hmm. a pandemic. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm just wondering how the, the circumstances, the kind of global circumstances of this moment shaped what you wanted to say about. So sometime during the pandemic, I read something where someone <laughs> mentioned, I cannot pinpoint it. I don't remember. It's lost. It's, it's lost. Yeah, it is lost in those sort of endless days of, of just drowning in sweatshirts but um 
someone said something about how they were realizing that their relationship with themselves was as important as their relationship with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that a lot. And I feel like I think everyone thought about that during Mm -hmm. the pandemic when we really did have to be deeply in relationship with ourselves. But at the same time, I think I, so I wrote this, um, I mostly wrote it kind of October of 2020. And so it was right after a summer of protests, a Mm -hmm. summer of, and, you know, and also months of thinking about mutual aid thinking about how deeply in relation we are to each other. And I think it was also, you know, it was was a time of kind of realizing that every system that we have is sort of not just, not just that they're broken, but that, that our original conception of them was based on something. The very foundations. Yes, exactly. So, I think thinking about all of this in a time of so much change, I would say for me, felt really invigorating. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt felt like a time when anything could happen, which was, yeah, both like terrifying and full of possibility, I guess. Have the events of the past year, mm-hmm. roughly speaking, yeah, um, prompted you to change your narrative of self yeah yeah i think they really have living alone during the pandemic definitely has made me think a lot about something that i referenced a little bit earlier but about the fact that our relationship with ourselves is the longest relationship we have is hopefully the deepest relationship and that it is so important to cultivate that. And I wrote, so I wrote most of this October of 2020, which was kind of one of the darkest times of the pandemic. And at least here in our corner of the US. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking sort of literally as uh-huh. in like the, the days. <laughs> the days were getting shorter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but also, also in the ebbs and flows. Of- yeah, yeah. Well, also in the sense that, you know, we kind of came through this this summer of protest. We then, I think a lot of people kind of thought that the pandemic would ease a little bit at that time. Mm-hmm. But then, in fact, our Los Angeles lockdown got more serious. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it was kind of an extra solitary time for a lot of people who weren't frontline workers or who weren't, um, you know, working in restaurants or grocery stores but yeah so I think writing it in that time really did make me think very much about how thinking of yourself as a kind of a fluid individual with possibilities is so essential Mm. at least to me Mm -hmm. because that is kind of part of having a lasting and growing relationship with yourself. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. what you just said about recognizing ourselves as fluid individuals feels very positive and empowering to me because, you know, part of the narrative of so many things, be Mm -hmm. it um, 
you know, widespread movements for racial justice mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, a global pandemic or mm-hmm. like all of this big, big stuff we're talking right. about is like, it's not like there is an end date, you know? Yes. And we talk about it like... Like we'll come to some kind of like conclusion. Big yeah. shift moment yeah. where we all recognize. Right. And I think right. like, you know, part of the lesson of long-range social mm-hmm. justice movements, part of the mm-hmm. lesson of long-running pandemics is like right. there isn't a hard stop. Just like right. there wasn't a hard start, you know? like. Yes. And yeah, I mean, maybe I guess you can name some hard starts with this particular pandemic, but for the things mm-hmm. it exposed, probably not. And right. so we're talking about being comfortable with just like, okay, you know, like maybe being locked down and isolated in my home pre-vaccination was a specific experience. And I can mm-hmm. talk about that and tell you what I learned. But much like the world is not defined by like big changes right. into a new job or whatever, yeah. um, we cannot like bookend our experiences so cleanly no (laughs) I mean definitely not you know I thought about that actually I thought weirdly about the civil rights movement of the 60s and how we were taught about it oh as a fixed thing with an end date exactly right like so fixed such an end date and also that like Martin Luther King made a speech and that changed everything that was it Yeah. yeah that's all you need and it is kind of crazy that that is how we are taught about things, that we are taught to think about things as just having like, boom, giant change, everything done. Right. I'm going to do a, like a lightning round because this is like a, like a phone a friend style. going to okay. ask you some quickies, like maybe short answer questions okay. before, we, before we end. They will not all be like personality reveals, though maybe okay. some of them will. Okay. okay. First question. Please give me the general contours of your For You page on TikTok. Oh, okay. What's showing up for you right now? Well, since I've spent most of my recent life on TikTok, <laughs> not posting anything, just just watching things. The only way. Passive TikTok is the yes. only way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So many uh, sketches, right? So mm. many just sort of people being funny in different ways. Um Many different Native American songs and dances. Mm -hmm. Lots of sewing reveals. Mm. You know, people making a thing out of another thing. I got to get on that TikTok. Oh, it's so great. And a lot of did you know. Mm. You know, very into did you know TikTok. And you know how we, and we have definitely talked about this, about how... (laughs) We only talk about TikTok, spoiler alert. we, We talk about TikTok a lot. But... You know, sometimes people get on TikTok and they're like, I don't know. It's only like people trying to look hot and do dances. And then I always say, well, I mean, that's your algorithm. Those are the things that clearly you are interested in, even Mm -hmm. though you're pretending that you're not. But I do feel a little bit like my TikTok now does not have enough people trying to look hot. Oh, you want more hotties. Yeah, a little bit. A little (laughs) bit more. (laughs) <laughs> amazing like uh-huh. like how do you want to change your tiktok personality yeah. more hotties yeah. i love it okay um the last book you read that you like thought about a whole lot or recommended to a lot of people oh i just read the library at mount char mm-hmm. which is kind of outside of my usual reading world in that it's kind of scary it is so hard to explain but it's kind of I think they call it urban fantasy, where basically it's like real world, but then fantasy things mm-hmm. happen. I loved it. 
I really recommend it. it you was, definitely have already recommended it to me, so I, I know have, that's true. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Favorite snack? <gasps> Anne. I know. I mean, I love all snacks. I know, but like, I want to eat sense. them all. Like it's like okay. it's like kind of like last snack meal on earth, like mm. what's on the buffet kind of thing. Okay, okay. I mean, probably my actual favorite snack is not a Cheeto, but a a like kind of natural version of a Cheeto that is still very Cheeto-y. A pirate's booty? No. no. Okay. Help me get closer. Oh, more like a, a Barbara's cheese curl. Okay. I think that's I think that's what they're called. I think that's the brand. Yeah, no, that's definitely right? a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I am also a fan of the the Trader Joe's version of mm-hmm. the Cheeto. Baths or showers. Fan of both. And you've changed my bathing life, oh, actually. Tell me more. Yes. Well, okay. Showers because I have excellent excellent water pressure which i feel mm. like no is brag but a full rare brag. gift yeah total full brag but also you know usually in baths the bath water always drains out but Anne introduced me to this little plastic thing that you can like a little suction cup that you can put over that drainage and it changes everything the true story is that that device was recommended to me by one aminatu so oh. and then i passed it along to you which oh is God. like I really have call your girlfriend to thank i know i it, she she steps. changed my life and then i could change yours thank you yeah i mean i would say that that has probably changed me more than any of those dumb moments that we just <laughs> talked about <laughs> one bathing five dollar <laughs> suction yes, cup thing exactly in the tub. Oh, changed your whole personality. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. You can listen to Jade's audio essay, You've Already Changed Your Life, A Recipe for a Revelation at Audible. It's an Audible original. And you can find her novel, The Wangs Versus the World, which is amazing. Anywhere you buy books. I will see you on the internet, my love. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. Call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books, but we are really partial to independent bookstores. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is executive produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>